Everybody wants to be on the winning team, don't they? Everybody wants to have the winning team. Everybody wants to win. Nobody, well, I say this, nobody, I don't think anybody, a competitor at heart, nobody wants to lose. We identify with their, our team. We wear their colors. We rejoice with their wins. And we grieve over their losses. Much like I did last year when the Bulldogs lost. On almost a last second throw. National championship, oh, gone. But we want to be on the winning team. And I hope you'll see why I said that. If you are in Christ, you are on the winning team. And the application of the, the redemption that has been accomplished in Him, we have security in Him, and we know that He wins, and He will complete all of His purposes. He will finish His work. And we've been rehearsing that work of redemption that is being worked out through the Old Covenant from creation down through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, who's the mediator of the Old Covenant, all of which is fulfilled in the mediator of the New Covenant, Jesus. But Moses is a leader. He is the leader. He is the mediator of the Old Covenant who will lead His people out of bondage through the Exodus. And so we're going to take a couple of sermons to just remember who Moses is. And if you remember sort of the review, we, we, we've seen as we sort of are going very fast and Stephen is going very fast, but you know, the Old Testament is creation, fall, flood, nations, Abraham. Focuses in very quickly on Abraham because it's a book about redemption. And then Abraham, Isaac, laughter, God working. Jacob, covenant line goes through Jacob who becomes Israel. The twelve sons, one of which was Joseph. We talked about Joseph last week and, and uh, a lot of, about trials and suffering and uh, point you back to that. And this week, Moses. And, and Stephen's been accused of teaching untruths about Moses and the, the covenant and the temple and all of these things. So he's showing his brothers, although they will in the end refuse to hear him and martyr him, that he is teaching and preaching the truth of what they call the Scriptures, the Old Testament, the Bible they had at the time, and showing that all that's fulfilled in Jesus. But this week, Moses, the mediator of the Old Covenant, and we'll see in these verses from 17 to 34 that God patiently accomplishes His gracious plan of redemption through His people. God graciously accomplishes His gracious plan of redemption through His people. This week, highlighting Moses. And I want to point out four things that, that we see in this text that are true about their time, true about our time, so that we can make some application uh, of the section that we have before us today. But the first one is, and this was kind of part of last week's sermon too, man cannot stop God's plan. Man cannot stop God's plan. If you look back in the, in, in chapter 17, you see, I mean, chapter 7 verse 17 you see as the time of promise is drawing near and Israel has been increasing in Egypt the Egyptians are afraid of them now they're becoming too numerous for us we have to do something about this so they put them under harsh slavery and that just makes them stronger and they multiply more so maybe we can get the midwives to start killing the male children doesn't work they feared God more than them wouldn't do it so there's an edict that has gone out that all of the male infants are to be exposed. It says right here, so that they'll die. 
But, but as the time of the promise drew near, what promise? We've seen it up in verse 6 of chapter 7. God spoke to this effect that his offspring would be, Abraham's offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others, that's Egypt, who would enslave them, afflict them 400 years. But I will judge that nation and bring them out and they shall come out and worship me in this place. So that's the promise we're talking about. The promise given to Abraham of, of land, of seed, of blessing that will be uh, fulfilled through through Moses bringing about through Joshua and eventually coming into the land but showing the fulfillment of what was spoken to Abraham that they were in a land not their own that they were oppressed and that they would be delivered and it's a long time 400 years we talked about that when we talked about Abraham so I'm not going to rehearse that but it said that as the time of the promise drew near which God had granted to Abraham the people increased and multiplied in Egypt until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. And it says he dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants. What was the purpose? It tells us right here. So that they would not be kept alive. So that they would die. To abandon them. To throw them into the Nile. So that they would die. So there was a government edict of abortion of the male children in Egypt. All of the male children are to die because we can't handle this people. We have to reduce their population. If we get into a war, they may join our enemies. We need to protect the throne. So we're going to wipe out the male children. Now, I just take a side note and I mentioned abortion there. And, and abortion is a sin. It's taking a life. Abortion would fall under the commandment of murder. That's how serious it is. God knits us together in our mother's womb. We are humans, growing humans from the time of conception. All of the DNA and everything is there. Right? And it's a horrible thing to do. But if you have been a part of that, maybe you have. There's grace for that. There's forgiveness for that. There's a gospel that we have for that. That you can go to God and confess your sin and be forgiven. And when He forgives us, He forgives us everything. Think about David. David murdered to have a man's wife. That's what he did. He did it with other people's hands, but that's what he did. And it was after that that God said, a man after my own heart. I mean, God forgives. Read Hebrews. Some of the accounts of some of the people like Samson are mentioned as people of faith. And there's a lot of failure in a lot of these lives. But coming to Christ, Christ's Gospel is big enough to cleanse us from our sin. So you hear the word abortion. If you shy away from that, if you've been part of that, maybe nobody knows. God knows. And there's grace and forgiveness for that and all other sins in Christ if you turn to Him from that. So if you're following Jesus, if you're trusting Jesus, though that was a heinous thing that you were involved in, if you're in Christ that is forgiven, washed away in His blood, and He would not have you to continue to walk in guilt over that. If you are pregnant and nobody knows and you're thinking about that, do not do that. If you go to Planned Parenthood, they will lie to you. They're liars. Be straight up with you. You let some, Let us know. We'll help you. Adoption is a possibility. Helping you. Do not murder what God has created. 
a person in the womb. If you know somebody that's thinking about that, help them. Onslow Pregnancy Resource Center. There's something like, it's 20-something babies have been served, saved this year through their efforts. That's a lot. That's why we're part of that. I don't want you to rest in His forgiveness. But Pharaoh has said, wipe them out. Throw them in the river. Expose them so that they will die. And notice this, Moses is born under a time of threat. Moses should have been aborted. He should have been. But he wasn't. Because of his righteous parents. They kept him in the house as long as they could hide him. But you know, I mean... That's pretty difficult to hide a baby for very long. And listen, they didn't just throw him in the river. There was this whole scheme and plan concocted. that They knew when Pharaoh's daughter would go to the river. They knew what she did. Maybe they knew something about her. and knew she was compassionate. And put him in that little ark they made to save him. Kind of another picture we got going on here. And just the right time. And had the little girl there watching. So that when Pharaoh's daughter found the baby, she could come out and say, hey, want me to find a nurse for you? Didn't say, it's my mama, that's my brother. But, so he was returned as a, under a nurse until he had grown and was given over to Pharaoh. But it's, he's born under a time of threat. He should have been wiped out. The evil one through the government authority at that time, trying to stop God's accomplishment of the plan of redemption. Jesus too was born under threat, wasn't He? Under Herod. Matthew chapter 2. Listen to this. Joseph was warned in a dream to flee. And, and he did, but Herod, the government authority, sort of under Rome, but Herod, the authority, in order to stamp out the Messiah, has the children killed. says this in verse 13, Now when they had departed, behold, an angel, that's the wise men, when they had departed, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Arise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Satan's at work once again. He knows far more than we think he does. And he arose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod to fulfill what, was, what the Lord had spoken through the prophet out of Egypt. I called my son. And then Herod, he inquires, he has all the children under two years old, wiped out in an effort to stamp out God's plan of redemption. Stamp out the Messiah. Stamp out a rival king. It was his realm and he was going to protect it even if he had to slaughter all of the male children. Jesus, like Moses, born under a time of threat, should have been wiped out, humanly speaking. But God is at work providing and protecting and ensuring that His plans are accomplished. I love the irony of this story. Because Moses was adopted into Pharaoh's household. 
the deliverer who would lead his people out of Egypt, who would defeat Pharaoh and would there would be great suffering in Egypt. Pharaoh's going to raise him. Pharaoh's plan, seeking to stamp out, to protect his throne, to stamp out and control the population, to stop God's deliverance of his people and overthrow of Egypt, although he's not thinking all those things, ends up being causing him to bring into his house the very deliverer that he would have wished to stamp out. In verses 20 to 22, at this time Moses was born. He was beautiful in God's sight. He is God's purposed mediator. Doesn't mean he was physically pretty. God had a purpose for him. He was brought up for three months in his father's house and when he was exposed carefully for the plan, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And look at this, Moses was instructed in all of the wisdom of the Egyptians and he was mighty in word and deed. Though he'll claim later he's not. God sovereignly overruled Pharaoh's plans and brought about his mediator. God sovereignly overruled Herod's plans and brought about the fulfillment. Jesus, who would save his people from their sin. But Moses, he's ready. He's ready, right? Because he's instructed in all of the wisdom of the Egyptians. He's matured. He's, he's some 40 years old. He's ready to deliver his people. So deliverance is going to happen now because I'm ready. Well, look in verse 23 to 29. Not only can man not stop God's plan, but number two, God is very patient in accomplishing His plan. Now that's true for Moses, that's true in Jesus, that's true in our lives. But look in verse 23. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wrong, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. That means he killed him, we see later in the text. So he he has some sense of his purpose and that God would bring about a deliverance through him and he visits his people and he sees an Egyptian and he strikes him down. So, but think about it. He's 40. He's 40 years old. Man, it's time to get on with the plan, right? He's 40. 40 years of preparation. Now it's about to happen. No. He's strong. He senses the plan. He takes action. He makes an assumption. Look what it says in verse 25. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by His hand, but they did not. He's sensing it. He's getting it. This is God's plan. I'm the deliverer. I'm going to... His people like... No, not so much. Now look at verse 26. On the following day, he appeared to them. He tried to reconcile some brothers that were fighting. I'm going to skip a little bit. In 27 it says, the guy, when he goes and tries to break them up, one of them like shoves him aside and said, who made you ruler and judge? Are you going to kill me like you killed the Egyptian? And what it doesn't mention in Acts, but as Pharaoh heard about it, he's wanting to kill Moses. And Moses in fear flees. Read the first few chapters of Exodus. You want, want the backstory? But look at this. So Moses has to flee. He's, he's rejected as a deliverer. 
And then it says this in verse 29, At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. So he's 40 years old. He's ready. He's sensing the plan. And he takes baby steps into action. And he thinks that's going to precipitate the brethren understanding and this great deliverance somehow he, he, that God is going to accomplish through him. So it's now's the time. And he acts. And he's rejected. And he's under the threat of death again. And he's in exile. You know how long? Another 40 years. It says he has two sons. He's gone on with life. He's out in the wilderness. He's way away from Egypt. He, he has probably in his own mind decided, I don't know what that sense of call was all about. I, but it obviously is not God's plan. So I'm just going to settle in here. I'm going to have babies here and just do life here. Forty years. I mean, we talk, we read over these things so flippantly, but that, Forty years is a long time. It goes by quick. If you're older than that, you can relate to that. If you're younger, maybe not. Seems old to you, doesn't it? Kids, forty seems old, doesn't it? It's not. It's going to happen fast. And then forty more years. He's out in the wilderness. He's a shepherd. He's he's tending the flock. He's up to eighty in the wilderness. I, I remember graduating seminary. I went forty is. A number. I was 44 when I started seminary. God, we got to get on with the plan here. And so my wife said that too. We got to get on with the plan. You're 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 getting older. It's, you know, if it's what we're going to do, we got to do it. Graduated when I was 49. So obviously God's sovereign. He's called me into ministry. And when I graduate, He's going to have something all lined up for me to go into ministry. Right? No. God's plan. God works differently than we think and differently than we do. I never dreamed I would graduate fur- graduate furniture, graduate seminary to go sell furniture. Resume after resume after resume after resume. Most I never heard even back from. And the ones you did, it's like, dear John. And I was chafing under that, right? But selling furniture and doing well, making money, providing for we needs, we needed that. But but. A long time. It felt like forever. Not not in ministry. Thing I went to seminary for, selling furniture in Midian. I mean, in Greenville, South Carolina. And it turns out that once the call did happen in, to bring us out here, uh, I can talk to you more about that if you'd like. But to another church before we before Grace Church was planted, it turned out that God had all the connections put together. And that since I had worked at Ashley Furniture and knew the leadership group there and the vice president of sales knew me, had done well, I told them I was leaving the store, moving here, and I told them why. The best friend of the vice president of sales ran the Moorhead City store here in North Carolina. So I had a job waiting on me. All because God had it all worked out. It didn't go according to my plan, but how many of God's plans do? But he had it all worked out. But, you know, selling furniture, working in Ashley, I was kind of feeling like I was in exile and who knows what's happening. Maybe this is where God's going to keep me. I don't know. Moses is out in the wilderness tending the flock. He's got it pretty good out there. Um, you know, he's, he's got a wife. He's having kids. 
But what he doesn't know is the plan is still in operation. God is just very patient. God is a lot of times late in our way of thinking. But He's right on time according to plan. This will help you if you'll really remember that. A lot of stuff that's going on in your life. Number three, not only is He very patient, but He sees and cares, though to us He does seem late. Now look at this. And I want you to go back and... We'll read a little bit, but I want you to go back and read uh, the early chapters of Exodus to get the bigger picture. It says, Now when forty years had passed, in verse 30, forty more years, forty years away from Egypt, in the wilderness, forty years. Probably sort of given up there. Forty years had passed. An angel appeared to him in the wilderness in Mount Sinai in a flame of fire in a bush. Seeing bushes burn up was nothing new for Moses. But seeing one raging on fire but not burning up was new. What's going on with that? So he gets closer to check it out because, and I don't know how long he watched it, but the bush, you know, a dry bush like that, when it catches on fire, it's gone pretty quick. Man, this one's like a torch. And it just won't stop. So he's going to go investigate. And it turns out that the angel of the Lord, the Lord Himself, is there to speak to him. Forty years had passed. The angel appeared to him in the wilderness in the Mount Sinai in a flame of fire. When Moses saw it, he was amazed. Verse 31, at the sight, he drew near to look and there came a voice of the Lord. Now, don't know what he thought in that moment, but he did run from the snake when God gave him the staff. Turning. As soon as a voice starts coming out of this bush, he's like, well, they warned me about that pizza last night. A voice is coming out of the bush and then it says this. Now, this is stunning. This is stunning. I am, stop, covenant name, read on in Exodus. I am the God of your fathers. The God of Abraham and Isaac and of Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare look. I don't know what all he knew, but he knew that man can't see God and live and he's trembling. The Lord said to him, Take off the sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy ground. What's one of the big controversies that's going on with Stephen and the leadership? They're saying he said that Jesus would destroy the temple. The temple is the holy place. The temple can't be destroyed. It won't be destroyed. But see, the temple was only the holy place because God was there. We know God had long since left it was an empty shell they're defending an empty shell and rejecting the reality but notice what this says it says it says that he took was told to take the sandals off his feet for the place where he was standing is holy and now it's in the region of mount sinai in the wilderness it's there in the same place where god will visit and give the commandments and on we go but notice the pla- the holy place is where god is that's where the holy, if you want to know where the holy place is, it's where God is. Jesus being the fulfillment of the temple, when he said, destroy this temple and I will raise it in three days, he's talking about himself, but man, the, the enfleshment of God 
among the people. He was the holy place and is the holy place. And in Him we are the temple, the holy place. And that old brick and mortar building has fulfilled its purpose and that's why it's not there anymore. But he says, Moses, this place is holy. Why? Because God is here. You're in His presence. Take off your sandals. Now look at this. God sees and cares. Though it seems late to us and there's like you know a long time in 400 years and a long time of slavery and a long time of suffering, it says this, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and I have heard their groaning and I have come down to deliver them. I have seen it. I have heard it. I care. And I have come to deliver. God is the God who sees. He sees and knows all. He's aware of your difficulty. He's aware of your affliction. He's aware of your trials and your tears. And though He might seem late to you, He is right on time in His purpose to bring, maybe you're rejecting Him right now, to bring you to repentance. Maybe you're in Him and suffering for no fault of your own. He hears, He sees, His timetable is in operation. His purposes will be achieved. He is the God who sees. Look at Psalm 121 right quick. Very short. I want to read through it though. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He Notice He will hold me fast. Remember we sung that? He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord, capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh, the covenant God, the, the true and living God. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is the shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day or the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep you. You're going out and you're coming in from this time forth and from forevermore. You will be hurt, but you will not be permanently harmed in this world. And He is with you through the trials and struggles and He will accomplish His purpose for you, in you, through you. And right now, that thing you're going through that is so painful, He sees, He cares. And the answer is in Jesus and in His Word. God's commandments, we saw it in 119. God's commandments are your guide. Your happiness and your security and your peace is not in disobeying Him. It's not in having something else. It's in joyfully submitting to Jesus and trusting Him and walking in His ways. I know you have a knucklehead of a spouse. Or a co-worker. Or you name it. But obey Him in the midst of the difficulty. Don't bail. Obey Him and trust Him and trust Him to grow you and use you. God is the God who sees. He cares and will deliver. Though He seems late. And the last one, number four, God uses men and women to accomplish His plan. He could use angels. Wouldn't it have been much more efficient if God had just used angels to bring the message of the Gospel? But He's chosen to use us. Look what He says, and this is what shakes Moses. Remember, He's been gone 40 years. They want to kill Him. He's out. He's got a life now. And God says this to him. God uses men and women to accomplish His plan. He says this, 
at the very last part of verse 34, and now come, I will send you to Egypt. I see, I care, I'm going to deliver my people. Newsflash, through you. Moses, I'm going to send you to Egypt. And Moses was hesitant to go. Remember, he was mighty in word and deed, and he says, mm, can't speak, can't do it, don't, I mean, not me. Not, listen, I'm out here, I'm doing good, I get kids. Go get somebody else. I can't do this. They don't like me over there. Remember they wanted to kill me, God? <laughs> what Ananias thought when God, when Jesus sent him to, to Paul. You sure you know who you're talking about over there? Me? You're going to send me? Moi? I can't speak. I can't do this. I'm not ready. It's not me. God ends up sending Aaron with him. Okay, Aaron will talk for you. But Moses is mighty in word and deed, but he's resistant. But God says, go on my mission, in my power, according to my purpose. I'll even give you the message. You just take it and go. I care, I see, I'm going to deliver. And I'm going to send you. Moses, I'm sending you to Egypt. And we know, we know the rest of the story, that he will, through Moses and hardship and suffering and some more rejection, deliver his people from the land of Egypt. But you know what else he sent? Who else he sent? He sees, he cares. He's going to deliver his people from bondage, not in Egypt, but in sin through the gospel. And you know who he's sending with that? You. But I can't. I don't have all the answers. They won't like me. Go and make disciples of every nation. You, by God's grace, have a role to play in the Great Commission. I'm going to send you, yes, as weak and needy as you are, as imperfect as you are, as insufficient as you are. See, I get more glory that way. I'm going to use you and the feeble gospel that you will tell not perfectly to those around you to deliver some of them. Because the power's in God and His Spirit. The power's in His gospel. And just like He delivered His people from Egypt, He will deliver his people from sin through the preaching and the sharing and the speaking. Yes, it must be spoken of his gospel. He says to us, go on my mission in my power for my purpose with my message. I see, I care, and I will deliver. See, God is unstoppable. His plan will be fully accomplished. There will be a people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language around the throne worshiping Him forever. Revelation 5 and following. His elect, people given to Christ before the foundation of the world. Who are they? Don't know. He says, preach the gospel to every creature. And He says, everyone that turns and trusts in Christ will be saved. The gospel goes, offer goes out to all. And God is powerfully at work when it does. And that can give you hope. It's not, a, it's not dependent on us and how smart I am and how many questions I can answer and all that. You know, if I just share His Gospel as simple a message as that is, He's going to take it and use it according to His will. He is unstoppable. His plan will be fully accomplished. Listen, heaven, not heaven, hell and earth tried to keep Jesus in the grave. Wah, wah. Third day. Romans down. Grave empty. 
new heavens, new earth achieved, new body. Man cannot stop him. He's sovereign. He's patiently on time always. Look, look at me. Hard circumstances in your life does not mean God does not see and He does not care. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. I have overcome it for you. So now, as the Heidelberg Catechism says, all things must work for me. So I can count it all joy when I fall into various trials, James 1, because I know He's at work to make me more like Jesus through them. So the trials that come into my life as I'm... He's going to do it anyway, but I can joyfully submit to them knowing that He's in work in me and that He's going to shine His light in me and through me. He's going to grow me and use me as light and salt. He is sovereign, so no trial comes into your life that doesn't come through His hands. Nothing slips up on God. Nothing. He, he's not up there saying, ooh, I wish that didn't happen. And I know, listen, I'm talking about some hard stuff sometimes. and stuff that, It's just hard to reconcile and hard to understand. But we go through great trials. But hard circumstances does not mean God is absent. Easy circumstances does not necessarily mean He's present. Just because He loves you, He's not going to give you everything you ask for. He'll give you everything you ask for according to His will. I mean, you don't, you know, I said this last week, you don't raise your kids like that. You don't give them everything they ask for. Kids are like, shh. They can't. They'll spoil you if they do that. Because life's not like that. You get out of the house, life's going to be really hard. Look, you want to know, how do you know God loves you? How do you know He's present and He loves you? Is it because you feel it? No. It's the cross. That's how you know. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. How do I know God loves me? Jesus, the cross. I don't feel like He loves me. Jesus, the cross. Things are falling apart in my life. Jesus, the cross. Justice is satisfied. Hell is, you're delivered. Death is defeated. You are with Him. He is for you. And He's taking you through the trials and tears of this life all the way home to the new heavens and the new earth. And He uses men and women to accomplish His purpose. Now wait, okay, I'm willing to go tell people about Jesus, but I need to get everything figured out first. You know when that will happen? Never. You know when you'll have the answer to every possible question you could be asked? Never. There's, some really, there's, there's three really good words that will set you free. I don't know. But this I know. And we can work on finding the answer to that, but here's what I know. Christ in Him crucified. How do I know God loves me? Certainly not by looking at circumstances. By looking to the cross. If you are trusting in Jesus, you are on the winning team. When life is easy and when life is hard, when people do what they should and when they don't, love Him, trust Him, obey Him, walk with Him. He is with you and for you. He's putting all your tears in His bottle. He sees. He knows. He cares. And He's accomplishes all of His purpose in you and through you for His glory. If you're trusting in Christ, you're on the winning team and you're not riding the bench. So many of us are riding the bench. Your first string. There's no second string in the kingdom. You're starting. Guys and girls who played sports, you're a starter. Play with confidence. 
What do I mean? Be on mission for Him. The unstoppable God is on your side and He patiently accomplishes plan of redemption through, through His people. The good news of the Gospel through which God accomplishes His plan is that you're a sinner who cannot save yourself and you deserve God's wrath and condemnation. You have not kept His law in thought, word, and deed. If you've been angry with your brother without a cause, you've committed murder in your heart, Jesus said. If you looked upon a woman or a man with lust, you've committed adultery. If you've lived for anything else at any time, you've not had Him as your God. You've dishonored His name. You've not worshipped, you know, murder, adultery, stealing. If you've stole anything, even time. If you've told any lies. If you've desired anything that your neighbor has, thinking it'll make you happy, so that, you know, if you had the opportunity, you'd take it. You qualify for the gospel because that means you're a sinner. You're not a good person. You're not born a good person. You're a sinner. Lost in need of a Savior. But you know what the good news is? Savior has come. Jesus lived perfectly righteous. He kept the law in thought, word, and deed to save us by His life so that we'd have a righteousness on our account. And then He took our sin upon Himself and He died to pay the penalty for all of our sins. Listen, if you're trusting in Jesus, you might continue to pester yourself about some stuff and there may be some things you need to make reconciliation about, but justice is satisfied. All of your sins are washed away in His blood. And it's better than that. When you come to faith in Jesus, when you trust in Jesus, you're united to Jesus. You're justified on the basis of Jesus. God declares you righteous. He adopts you into His family. All of your sins are washed away and Jesus' perfect righteous record is credited to your account. That's your status as a child of God. And then your growth and grace in this life is God just making you what you already are, making you more and more like Jesus. You're not keeping your salvation by what you do and what you pray and what you give. You're loving God who has loved you so. What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust in Him for salvation and not anything else. Turn from loving sin to hating it, desiring to be free from it. Turn and trust in Jesus. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, Jesus, that whosoever believes in, trusts in Him, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Trust in Jesus. And you're on His side, which is the winning side, because He will accomplish all of His purpose. He's patient in doing it, but He always comes through. He sees and He knows your difficulty. And what proves He loves you is His cross. And yes, He will use even you to accomplish His purpose. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Its truth. We thank You that Moses pictures for us Christ who has achieved our redemption. We thank You that through the preaching of the simple Gospel that Christ died for our sins, that He was buried, that He was raised the third day, You call Your people unto Yourself and You grow them in that grace every single day. If anyone is in here, young or old, not trusting You, I pray that You would bring them to faith, to trusting, submitting to Jesus and trusting Him for salvation and resting in Him alone. And those of us who know You, refresh and renew us 
Lord, encourage and strengthen us. Help us to see that sin is never the way. Righteousness is the way and that You're with us and for us to bring us through this difficulty and to use it to make us more like Jesus. Help us to trust You, to love You, to serve You, to rest in You, and to be on mission for You. Help us to love You because You have first loved us. We give You praise. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.